Rahang Dara, hello, good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us for this afternoon's game startup session for Guru Live Spring, courtesy of BAFTA. I'm Vicky and I'll be your host for the next hour, for good or not, we'll find out, won't we? Um, and I'm gonna be talking about uh, how we start our um, start a career in games. I've got a couple of housekeeping things to do first, so we'll get through those, and then I'll introduce today's guests. If you have any questions you'd like to ask our speakers during the session, please use the Q&A function, which is going to be open throughout, and we'll be answering them together later on at the end of the session. Uh, closed captioning is also available now. Uh, you can turn that on at the bottom of your screen via the CC button. You can also follow a live transcript of the event via a link that will be sent in the chat, which will be full of me going um and ah, and um, hopefully no swear words. So we'll see how that goes. So without further ado, let's introduce our panelists for today. Catherine Bidwell, who's director at State of Play Games, and Chris Payne, who's also a director at Quantum Soup Studios. Hi. Hi, both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mm. So today's session, hopefully it's going to be just a chat amongst friends, I would hope, talking about how you both got your start, how your companies are going now, um, and trying to share um, the good stuff and the bad stuff with the people who are watching. So I suppose we'll start right at the beginning, and I'm going to start with Catherine. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got into games, and then how you set up on, on your own? Yeah, sure. Hi everyone, I'm Catherine and I am the director of State of Play Games. Um, we founded the company way back in 2008 and um, how I got into that, I guess, um, from my graduate course, I was doing web design. Um, and way back then there was kind of um, a thing called Flash and I was making a lot of Flash games um, for, for advertising companies, for, um, you know, if someone wanted to create their brand a little game you could play online was quite um was part of the, the the sales pitch so um doing that i was also with my business partner luke he was also in a similar um career sort of making these flash games and we just um you know we we enjoyed doing this but we wanted to strike out on our own um so we carried on making games for clients but in the background we were kind of making our own game um, and even at that time we were making it not sure what we were going to um do with it but um we just felt like it would be a really like we wanted to make games slightly differently a lot of our games have handcrafted elements and um so while making these client-based games we made a game called loom which was um all made by paper and craft um with an animated character running around we filmed it in a friend's bedroom really really low budget really low scale um and when we did that we then decided to let's just put it on steam and see what happens back then um steam you know only had a handful of indie games and we were lucky enough in around that like 2010 2011 kind of first independent game companies um to be in that bunch and so loom went on to um to kind of pay for itself and more and gave us this independence that we didn't know we could do. We can make a game in this small studio and we can um, we can launch it. So from then we carried on making animations, um, you know, and this kind of handcraft making, um, you know, using a sketchbook, 
creating um, interesting worlds, um, all became part of what State of Play is today. Um, so from Loom, we made its sort of sequel, which was Lumino City. Um, it's one we're probably most well known for, and um, we were lucky enough to win the BAFTA for artistic achievement when that launched. Um, we at this point we were a slightly bigger company, but still, you know, in terms of AAA, very small company. Um, and yeah, so from then we've continued to be independent. Um, a game called South of the Circle came out in 2020. We've had kind of smaller um, IFO games such as Kami and Inks. And yeah, we just kind of kept tried to keep the independent spirit with how we set up the company. And how about you, Chris? Can you tell us how you started out, kind of a little bit about your career and then how the studio came to be? Yeah, sure. Uh, I started in the industry back in uh, 96. Uh, I'd always wanted to work in uh, games. Uh, so I uh, managed to land uh, a job in a what what we would now call a little indie company um, straight out of university. Um, uh, and that gave me a leg up to get uh, a job at uh, EA for a couple of years. I worked at Intelligent Games and then round about the millennium, I settled down at uh, Traveller's Tales just before they released the first uh, Lego Star Wars. Um, so uh, over the next 15 years or so, I worked on most of the uh, Lego series uh, uh, and up until the point where we finally did uh, Lego Dimensions. I uh, spent a lot of time working on the Doctor Who elements of uh, Lego Dimensions, uh, and then I felt I peaked. Uh, so uh, set up uh, my company, Quantum Soup Studios, in 2016, and uh, it's it's been an interesting um, experience, a little bit rocky. Our, uh, my original um, game, um, I couldn't manage to find a publisher for, so we had to pivot to do a bit of work for hire. And then uh, our current project, which it's gonna, I'm gonna have to be cagey about because it's unannounced. Um, our current project is a, a licensed game that I did manage to get a publisher for. So um, we, we've, it's been a, a little bit of a windy road uh, to where we are today, but we're currently working on uh, a licensed game with uh, a, a big I, IP uh, for families, uh, which I'm very excited about, but I can't be too forthcoming about. It's very mysterious and very unfair that you're not I'm sharing. So you drop bombs like that and then don't give us any further information. It seems a bit unfair, but fine, yeah. I'll gloss over it. Um, both of you have talked about having you're kind of, uh, I'm going to use the term day job, a, a full-time development or animation job. Mm. What was it that gave you the spark to kind of, what, 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 was there a particular moment? Was it a accumulation of moments that made you think, do you know what, I want to do this myself now? And I'll start with Chris this time. Oh, um, well, for me, it, it was the mid eighties when I started um, playing around with uh, an eight bit uh, computer and uh, typing in listings from magazines, because that was the main way that you could get new games uh, was typing them in yourself. Um, and so I just continued doing like more and more uh, programming uh, while I was at school, um, wrote some really, really bad games um, and uh eventually and then went to went to university studied pure computer science because there was no real game development courses in 1993 um and but by the time i um uh graduated uh, 
yeah it, it was i was able to get um uh, get a job in in the industry but it was it was an interesting uh, time back then because i felt that in order to make games i had to be able to program them because it, the the industry was small enough back then that that you you barely had the division between programming art audio and uh, stuff like that whereas like obviously now it, it's uh, it's evolved so much and so specialized that you you can pick a particular discipline and really excel at it uh back in the 80s it, it, it was basically whoever was coding the game would often do the pixel art as well and how about you catherine was there a particular moment for you i mean you talked about how you were doing animation for other clients what was what was the trigger to make you think i'd like to do this on my own and i'd like to make games yeah um a bit different to Chris. I think I I never pitch myself being a game developer. Um, I definitely was more into the art background and like the graphic design. Um, so it was a bit of a like wavy kind of um, organic kind of thing that happened. I don't think there was ever that spark of like da da. I'm a, I must make games. So um, I think I think when um my business partner he was working for an um, advertising agency i was working for an advertising agency and we we were making these digital experience and you know and then through various um other connections you know we got we got offered some work to do in the evenings and um a chance to go to africa to do an animation out there and it was basically kind of the um the the sort of like the day job was getting in the way of the of creating these animations um and and other small games um so that's when we um sort of set up state of play but we were still working with um clients but to answer your question of like when did state of play become independent and it was it was it was just kind of we felt like we we had some really good ideas for games you know and rather than waiting for someone to pit, to give you a brief you know we we knew we had the ability to actually come up with a good, you know, we kind of by then we knew what made a game work. So it it was a lot more um, kind of, I think when our ideas were kind of really uh, solidifying and the way, you know, we just spent time like in the weekends kind of making this little noon world out of cardboard and glue and, and you could tell our passion was all in that. And then it was like, oh, but we've got this deadline for this other game, so we better park this and do this. And then, again, I think I think generally, you know, I've I've been kind of risk averse, so we were trying to kind of the making sure we were able to pay work, pay pay ourselves at the end of the month. You know, the bread and butter work was was doing that, but you know, this this passion and this knowing when you've hit that moment where you know a game is good, it's like it's like lightning in a bottle kind of thing so we we really um when we made this small game loom and we were enjoying it and we knew the audience would enjoy it i think we thought oh, if we could make this work it'd be really good and i think we kind of had that confidence to be like and if we can do it now we can do it again you know um so again it it it, it was just a feeling you get where hang on, we can make this work. And we were lucky enough, you know, we had savings in the business from this client work. So we thought, well, we can give it at least six months and see what happens. And, and that's and that's what we did. And luckily, we, we didn't need to do the client work anymore. 
Um, I was quite taken by what Chris said about how the fact that when you kind of start out on your own, um, you're doing all the jobs. So you are the animator, the programmer, the music co composer, the PR, everything, every HR, accountant, all Me. of it is you. <laughs> Lean in. <laughs> so um, how, how was it though? So, so when you kind of struck out on your own, I mean, I, I'm going to presume they were quite small teams. Um, how was it that those first few years um, kind of kicking out on your own and, and adjusting to doing all of those jobs after having, uh, I mean, Chris, you obviously working for EA, which was a, a big conglomerate organization, which has lots of very specific and distinct departments. And Catherine, you weren't even working in games. So I'm gonna start with Chris, but what, how did you make that transition from being an employee to being the boss and the sole creator of a project? It's, it's very different experience um i will say because uh, uh, working on on the um the, the factory floor as it were um you're responsible for a very specific part um of the game and, and you have sort of like a nice sort of like narrow focus on uh and you can really get deep into that uh, uh specific um thing that you're working on so for example at the tt games uh i the last five years that i was there i was working pretty much exclusively on cameras um like completely overhauling the camera system and maintaining it for like um each game and adding specific solutions to uh do things that the designers particularly wanted to do um so i had that laser focus um but then uh, moving over to running my own company, I knew that I was going to be leaving for like a couple of years before I did. Uh, so I was taking that time to begin networking and um, learning about uh, business and stuff. There's still an awful lot of stuff that I had to kind of like just tackle by the seat of my pants. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, you you have to wear a lot of hats uh, and, and there is an awful lot of... Um, uh faffing around to, that you have to do uh with 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 accounting and with documentation to just for the legalities of running a company um it's not very exciting that stuff um but uh the biz dev stuff i found that i really did enjoy um from coming from sort of like being sort of like a programmer very technical going to sort of basically like meeting people, pitching the uh, project ideas uh, and sort of like talking about potential collaborations and sort of like, um, and having to like do um, hiring as well. Those were all kind of new to me. So uh, that was a great, um, it, I really enjoyed learning those new skills basically and broadening my, um, my experience. How about you, Kathleen? Uh, yeah, similar to to Chris. Really, it, you suddenly, I always think what you're what you're best at in life, like like my, you know, creating games, producing games. Is because you know, when you set off on your own, you're best at making the games. But the stuff you really need to start learning is all the stuff that goes on behind. So it's a real, um, I think, eye opener. But again, it happens gradually, and and um, you suddenly like VAT returns i need to you know get my head in there so it, it was a gradual process i mean the beauty of being your own boss and i remember once you are there and you have that control and you have that freedom and i'm sure chris chris will agree you know the thought of then 
sort of making stuff for other people, all the kind of work admin stuff is is really worthwhile and it's it's something like it's a privilege for me to be able to do that and to be in control i mean when we started off we had a very if we had a studio that was way too hot in the summer and way too cold in the winter so then you're like air conditioning unit let's see if we can get this you know oh bring an extra jumper today it's really cold and and it it's all part of becoming the company you want it to be but but yeah it's a it's a steep learning curve and this is, um, I agree with Chris, the meeting people, like the networking. I still, I swear, the, especially the independent games community, you know, um, especially when we were setting out, it's such, it's the friendliest industry to be in. Um, and the sort of small events and big events like GDC or like, you know, um, the London sort of games festival, you know, when you are just in a room sharing your, game ideas with people and then sharing yours and giving feedback but in such a lovely um jolly way it's it that that's been something a real eye-opener for me that that was available and I think it's um something that I hope continues so can you that was brilliant it was almost like we planned it that was a great segue to my next question which is about kind of developer communities and gaming communities uh kind of the regional ones in different areas. Can you tell me a little bit more about the area that you were developing at that time, how you go about forming those links? Because I can imagine, because you're so focused on trying to do everything, particularly in those early days, how important is it to, to strike out for those contacts and how do you go about building it? I'll start with you for that, Catherine. Um, great, yeah. Um... I mean, you know, I think now Twitter and and um, Slack is a great way of um, of getting those communities together. But um, in real work, you know, um, and I think that's a real sh- what what's happened in the pandemic and people aren't meeting up and actually, you know, um, getting out there and meeting people. I mean, ten years ago we just we used to we used to meet in a pub on a Thursday evening and just chat about indie games with a group of people and it doesn't matter you know it happened every week and if you went there it's fine you know there's no pressure and and just trying to um don't be afraid of showing those early prototypes to those sort of people because you can spend a lot of time on a game and you you know it's you know we've all we all get really set in our ways of like well obviously you click the red button before you pick the pink button but Unless you're kind of shown it to even just appear, you know, it doesn't have to be any of kind of formal testing. Um, but yeah, just showing it to appear and saying, can you just play this for me? And watching someone play your game. That's, that is, you know, it's always worth striking out. Just just go to that event for three days just to have that one little interaction. It'll be, it will save you so much time in the long run. So yeah, I mean, you know, just, just try and um, find those networks. I mean, again, institutes like BAFTA can help with those things or like the fabulous um, Yuki, um, which I've been part of part of the board um, for the past six years. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of um, companies and things where you, you know, you can start with what's, what's happening, what's going to go on. Is there a directory of events coming up um, and just working out what you can go to? I really recommend. Yeah, about, about you, Chris. How is the situation for you? 
uh, yeah, it, it was really interesting. After 15 years uh, at TT, which by the time I left, um, it was when I joined, like we, we were working in a like converted barn. Uh, and again, sort of like very cold in the winter. Um, when I, by the time I left, um, uh, we'd moved to like a, a big, like three floor office building. There were probably about 300 people in the building. There were people sort of like, would like come work there for a couple of years and then leave. And I, I'd never met them. Um, and I had not really um, spoken to any developers outside of TT for over a decade. Um, so actually when I, knew that I was starting the um, planning to start the business. Uh, I started actually like taking the trouble to go to events. And uh, that was really interesting because I got to um, uh, talk to like other developers. And uh, so I mean, one of the first ones that I, that I went to actually was a, a talk that um, Mike Biffle gave in Birmingham. And it was great to like uh, chat to Mike. Um, uh, and find that like he really enjoyed the Lego games, uh, and it was like, oh wow, well, well, that's cool. Um, so the the community um, aspect of it is uh, fantastic, but also from a business perspective, uh, the Yuki run loads of uh, different um, uh, events uh, that are incredibly useful, um, uh, and and BAFTA too. Uh, so there's a lot of value in going to uh, talks and stuff, not only for um, meeting people and, and building your uh, network of uh, potential business associates. Uh, but uh, the, the content of those talks is really handy. You know, I, I've got like um, uh, sample pitch templates, for example, from, um, from people who have like been through the, like the process like over and over and over again. And they've got like a breakdown of this is what I, I want to see from, from a, a pitch for example that's incredibly useful um information that is like very hard to just like pick up by googling so th th there's a lot of value in, in meeting up for those so staying with you chris what do you think and i mean beyond when everybody thinks about setting up on your own i know there's a, there's that you, you have that creative freedom and you also have the possibility if you happen to get the hit and Where's that money going? It's your money. It's your company's money. Isn't that wonderful? But beyond those things, what do you think were the benefits of, of striking out and starting on your own? What was the difference between working for your own studio and working for another agency like TT or EA? Yeah, it, it's swings and roundabouts. The, the, there are pros and cons. Um, my lead at TT had run a company um, for a while, uh, and and unfortunately, it had through like no fault of his, it it had um, it had failed um, because like a, a deal got pulled at the last minute, and the, they just couldn't make it work. Um, and he had, that had because he had then had to like let the team go. That was a terrible experience um, for him, and uh, he was very happy to come back to. Um, uh, an employer where he had sort of like a regular salary and uh, only had like that laser focus on this particular project and like this particular aspect of this particular project and he could just deliver that and uh, and that was cool I'd never experienced that so I'd only had that laser focus and I was keen to to have uh, a chance to make more creative decisions um, so I was quite excited to be able to go sort of like right this is the this is the thing that um that i want to do 
that also was a bit of a learning experience because the first thing that I wanted to do was um, a a bit quirky and b a bit too ambitious. Uh, and as a result, um, I couldn't get uh, I couldn't land a, a, a deal for that one. So so I had to um, pivot and um, do things differently for a little bit. Uh, and that was a, a little bit of a difficult uh, time because, you know, made me question some of my uh, decisions but uh, I feel like a, um, I was able to turn it around so this this project feels like it's much a, uh, a much better bet commercially uh, than that original one I want to go back to that original one because I still think that it's a it, it's got legs but it's something that I think that I'm probably going to have to put some of my own money into rather than um, trying to pitch it to somebody else so that's uh sorry carry on <laughs> that there's there's pros and cons basically to, to being your own boss. Um, you have the creative freedom, but also you have the responsibility. Uh, and if you have, the bigger your team is, the, like, the more people's um, welfare you're looking after. So it, it, there is that extra layer of stress. Absolutely. How about for you, Catherine? How did you, how did you find the, the change? Because interestingly, it's a slightly different story for you because you were still doing some of your day job alongside that. So what were the benefits for you then when you when you set up the studio? Yeah, so the, the benefits were, the, again, and, and Chris has sort of um, touched on this, the creative freedom you have with creating your own um, your own project and, and, you know, whatever happens, it, it's on it's on you. I mean, it's it's tough. And I always think the beginning of a game process is very exciting and you're saying, but getting a game over the line and published and you know you've got shit you've got scheduling issues what hr issues you've got is this even a good idea anymore issues um you know that that is really tough and it and it's very it can be very stressful and you always need to kind of make sure you're looking after your, yourself and your team and you know um just um yeah that's that's really tough but for me the benefits i mean i've it's I've done it for, for um, you know, what, what are we on, 2008? You know, it's like 15 years having my own company. So it's, and it's the only company I've had in the games industry. So it's it's really hard to know to know the other side. Um, but yeah, I just, um, keeping that, you know, very independent. And we don't, we don't, we self-publish as well. So we're not even relying on a publisher Um for, for our games I mean that that kind of freedom and I think with the, the knowledge and the you know doing it for 15 years we kind of we hope we know how to make a state of play game and how and how to to get it done so so it's a really exciting that um kind of hey I want to tell a story and I want an audience to see it so so yeah that that was a real benefit for us. I'm now moving on to that very thorny, because we're also British, uh, subject of money. So uh, the next few questions are going to be kind of exploring finances. Um, I think it was, again, it's quite interesting that you both have quite different experiences and pathways into this. Um, so I'm going to start with Chris on this. Um, and if it's not too brutal a question, you know, what does it cost to, to set up on your own? Do you need a savings pot? Do you think you have to have a day job? I'm sure you don't because you didn't. But, you know, what what do you think? What, what 
yeah. I mean, how, how big can the pot be? I mean, it's endless, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, what, what would you recommend people looking to set up on their own think about? What would be the key messages? I I think the the probably the, the key thing, I think one of the mistakes that I made was that I was a little bit too ambitious early on. So I was looking to, um, uh, well, there's a couple of, the, the, I was targeting sort of like um, projects that would like have a budget of about half a mil. Um, and that sits in a weird no man's land between like micro indie games where publishers are quite happy to throw sort of like um, 50 grand or 100 grand at like a solo developer who's got a really cool, quirky project um, because that's pocket change to them. Um, but once you get up to the like half a mil to a mil, that gets into the range where it's still a cheap project in, in, in the scheme of things. It sounds like a lot. Um, it, it goes in no time um uh they're not really interested uh unless until you get up to the sort of like um six to ten million budget uh where you you then need sort of like a big team and that's complicated so it's it's i think it's probably i tried to get sort of like go into that sort of like the middle of that no man's land because i didn't really have um a lot of experience with uh, with project budgets um that felt like it would be a comfortable sort of like team size and budget size um uh for me at, at the time but it didn't really fit with what publishers um were looking for and also it carried a bit of a risk because uh i was trying to uh go from sort of like full-time employment to full-time employment and i needed to have some sort of budget in place i did get investors um uh our, our company was was uh, like very kindly supported by um s4c welsh uh, tv um channel uh uh in the beginning and that enabled us to um get up to speed and uh build our first demo um pitch that around uh, gamescom and, and uh, gdc and so on um but uh i think it's probably smarter to do it the way that Catherine has done it which is like starting with something that was sort of like a working business first and then sort of like transitioning it into into something more creative gradually without taking such a big risk um I don't know if you agree with that Kath I don't know I don't know if we've done it all right with our stellars but but yeah, I mean, again, like I mentioned before, like I guess generally as a company, we've been quite risk averse, and um, quite early on, um, I've got an excellent mentor in the industry who's a, a veteran um, kind of games developer, and he just turned to me and went, "Keep your overheads low," and it's probably the best piece of advice someone's ever given me because basically, yeah, each project we. But, you know, we're teams of two. If that goes well, we're team of four. If that, you know, so we've we've scaled up in a very manageable way. And, you know, um, we haven't relied on publishing money. It's been our own money. But then again, the profits have all been our own money. Um, so, yeah, we've we've um, we've really scaled up that way. Um, and it, it seems to have, it seems to have worked for us. Um, was that does that answer your question, Vicky? Was what was your original question? No, that's Sorry. no, that's great. That's great. It actually leads us on quite nicely to the next section, which is about investors. Um, I think that's an area that lots of um, budding developers um, 
feel that there's quite a lot of information about investing out there. So if you Google how to find investment, you'll be inundated with with uh, with helpful articles. But it's also a bit of a, a mystery because you know we all know that these things are quite often fortuitous it's quite often to do with connections it's quite often to do with someone may have bumped in with to someone at GDC or something so I'd love to get both of your views on on how you kind of caught investors um you know did you set up a vertical slice of your game and then and then take that round um and I'll start with Kath if that's okay if you can give me an idea of how, and how you went about that so so again we haven't um had lots of outside investment into our companies. We've worked um, a lot with with you know platforms such as Apple. And again, we've done when we're sort of showing them the next game. We've done things like vertical slice of the game and a pitch. Um, so that's probably how we get them interested in the game. Um, we've had um, small EU um, EU grants um, sort of way back. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, and again, we've all had to pitch an idea to people. So yeah, um, showing as much as you can is always great. But again, don't invest a year of your time into a game that you're then going to pitch. You know, it's sort of like sort of getting the balance right about giving enough to get people interested. But obviously, you don't want to be working for free for years on a game hoping to get some investment. So um so yeah, vertical slice is a really good idea personally for me. Um but I'm sure Chris can tell you a lot more about um getting amazing investors. <laughs> well, I I got lucky. Um frankly, I was a um uh, S4C uh, basically took a chance on us based on uh um business plan and um uh, some some concept uh, uh, documents, which is quite unusual. Uh, basically, once I, um, I'll, I'll be honest, that that gave me a slightly false impression of like how easy it would be to to get a publisher on um, on board. Uh, once I started pitching games, I did find that um, the fact that I'd got like twenty years of experience in the industry didn't really count for very much. Uh, in the context of pitching a particular game, it was all about um, uh, okay. So, what's the game? Um, who's it for? Um, have you got a demo that we can play? Um, that that is all, all they're, they're they're interested in. I suspect that sort of like my background did help, sort of like kind of like gloss over a bunch of questions that they might have like asked um, uh, a less experienced developer. Um, but it certainly didn't just sort of like magically open the door sort of like oh okay you know what you're doing then great have some money um which is kind of what i was hoping for uh and that very much did not happen uh so it, it is you you have to show what you want to what you want to make and yeah as catherine says it, the difficulty is that it takes time which is money to produce that vertical slice um and you know, I mean, a vertical slice is just—it's just—it's a, a very small game. Um, it, it, but it's a full game, and it's got to be pretty close to um, finished, you know, at, at all levels for that vertical slice to to look good and convey the the mechanics. And and it is really time consuming because you're having 
yeah, you know the saying that sort of the the um, the last ten percent of polish is what takes ninety percent of the time. The vertical slice has to inc incorporate that like ninety percent polish time um, in order to feel really good. So vertical slices are are a bit and de just de demos in general um, are a bit of a a pain because uh, but it is so useful to build something like that so that you can uh, show it to people and and get feedback on it so it, it is it is very satisfying to have people play your demo and, and go sort of like yes i would definitely buy that game when's it done and they're like when somebody will pay us to finish it um it's hard to believe we've got a little over like five minutes left <laughs> so i I know it's rocket by. So I've got so many things left to cover, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do my best to get through them. So um, I, I suppose the next question I'd like to ask you about is is marketing and finding an audience. Um, gaming is is an exceptionally competitive and in some instances, and I say this with love, oversaturated market, particularly for certain games and certain subgenres. So I'd love to know how you. You know, do you, do you start with an audience and, you know, a, an ideal audience and work your way backwards? Do you start with the game idea and then try and hope you find an audience? How do you go about that? And then once once you've done that, then the, the key issue of marketing. Um, and I'll start with Catherine, if that's OK. Yeah, no worries. Um, I guess for us, we kind of start with the idea first. I mean, I, I like to think we're never just kind of making it in a vacuum of like, this is the game we want to make, you know don't care if anyone likes it obviously you're always trying to make a game that there is an audience for but I think you can like I think a really good tip is to be authentic to yourself and if you are just kind of playing a numbers game of like well 18 to 24 year olds like these so we need to, you know it's going to come out in the end result and he, and you're not going to enjoy making it either um a game takes a long time to make and you know make sure it's something you want to wake up every morning to and um and and make it you know that's a really good piece of advice and um, the biggest marketing tool for us if i'm being really honest is awards like we've you know that early on that first kind of luminosity prototype loom like we entered it into a bunch of awards and it and it was nominated for quite a for quite a few and i think it was a really good in with people of like you know, these have been recognised, this game's been recognised, you know, well, hopefully, the, you know, next one. And especially um, the BAFTA, we weren't from Lumino City. We got that before it launched on um, iOS. Um, so it was on PC, won a BAFTA, and two months later came out on iOS. So straight away, it was BAFTA award-winning game, you know, it kind of told its own story. Um, which we, we're incredibly, incredibly grateful for. Um, and so, again, and obviously there is some fees with awards um, entries, but it, it it doesn't. It's a lot cheaper than a huge market, you know, a marketing budget. So, so for people starting out, I really recommend you know if you feel like your game's good, it's always worth a, worth a shot at just entering. Um, so yeah. And how about you, Chris? For me, uh, I, I, I'm interested in making games. Um, I have no particular sort of like skill at, um, at selling them. Uh, so my uh, plan has always been to work with a publisher who knows what they're doing. 
um, publishers have the like the budget and the knowledge to sort of like get a a given project in front of the audience who will be interested um, in it. Um, what Catherine says is is right though about um, you generally you don't want to go chasing uh, chasing a trend or something because that is going to put you in competition with literally everybody else. Um, you don't want to be competing with. I mean, to the extent that um, anybody competes with anybody in the game space, um, we're not really competitors because like people will play more than one game. But uh, if if your ambition is to sort of like try to sort of like compete with Fortnite, that's a high bar to hit. Um, so as a small company, um, particularly as a startup company, you're better off doing something that is um, uh, a bit different. You can find a niche audience, but a niche audience is usually enough to support a small company um, and you can grow from there. Um, but actually having kind of like doing something a little bit different is is a good way to um, to be known and, and like state of play in, in particular. Um, uh, kind of like known for their kind of like crafted um, environments, and uh, I remember playing uh, Lumino City and, and trying to figure out if, like, wait, wait a minute, is this this is the the graphics are amazing? How it took me a little while to figure out that it was actual video, <laughs> um, because it, it was it was so like seamlessly uh, seamlessly done. So uh, if you can find a niche that um, that nobody else is is really uh, serving, then uh, that's great for a small company. Yeah, I'd just like to add to, to that as well about the whole, so I've done student um, kind of um, assessments and, you know, the often you'll see someone trying to recreate Call of Duty and you're like, they're doing a great job. <laughs> like, if someone wants to play Call of Duty, they've got it there. I was like, you're, you know, and just to stand out in that crowd, there's no point trying to copy an amazing game idea that's already out there doing really well well there's no point copying any game because it's, you know it's already out there everyone's got a story to tell everyone's got a great idea you know experiment you know ex and, and if you and a few people are finding this game really fun then i'm sure like chris says that that niche audience will be there so um yeah brilliant and i mean i'm I'm hosting. I wish I was writing things down. So I know that people have been asking how to watch this afterwards, but um, there will be a link and we will be, um, we'll, it, it, it'll be available for everyone to see, myself included, because this has been fascinating for me. For someone who, who's on the other end um, of it, it's been, um, it's just been amazing. Um, I suppose I'll finish on talking about success. That's a nice positive way to spin. How, you know, how, how do you measure success? And, and I think all of us will are probably quite critical and it's very difficult to identify success in yourself but I'd love to know how you've done that and how you've um, used that to inform your next steps for the studio and uh, let's start with Chris. Oh uh, that's a tricky one because I, I feel that uh, at Quantum Suit we are we are still uh, chasing our first success basically um this the project that we're working on at the moment um uh, I hope is is going to be great um but we have to we have to wait and see how it is received when it's done um uh, to know that um but in terms of in terms of success metrics yeah there's a obviously there's there's commercial success and there's critical success um and ideally you want both um 
but uh, yeah, it, I'll settle for commercial success uh, because at the end of the day, that is what is going to enable us to make something else uh, that that is hopefully a bit better, and will will like bring the critical success that um, that is kind of validating. Uh, I'll be honest, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's at the end of the day. Um, I, I love making games, and so um, for me, a project is successful if it allows us to um, move on to the next project, basically, and, and make the next thing. Um, that's that's all I really want um, want out of it. Go ahead, Catherine. Um, yeah, and again, again with Chris, you always want you know enough commercial success to carry on doing what you do and what you love. But in a more a kind of whimsical uh, way, you know, with Lumino City, we probably get we get emails weekly just telling us how much stories about how much that game has meant to someone. And, you know, we'll have stories about I played this with my child, you know, just this week, a dancer wants to use the music because she finds it so relaxing and she played it when she was a student. And, and again, if there's a game like that, that mean something to you please get in touch with the developers and tell them because they're the ones that get printed and stuck on the wall that's the stuff that means as much to us as any awards you know again can 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 make and and so yeah again we we, you know we don't live in you know being able to pay the bills and and be happy it's obviously really important and that's what especially now we all we all want um for everyone but yeah just um Making a game that has meant something to people is is that's how I measure success. We're going to switch to questions uh, from from our viewers, and I'll, I'll do that in just a second. But I've got one last question for both of you, and that is: if can you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given when you started out, and would what would you say to the people watching today? I'll start with Catherine. Um, I think I mentioned it, but it's someone saying, like, in a really practical way, keep your overheads low. <laughs> and, you know, especially when you're starting out, like, don't go out and hire the the biggest office that's going to, you know, um, cost you thousands of pounds a month and, and the hundred staff that, you know. So so when you're starting off in those really early stages and, you you know, you haven't got the big investment, you know, just, just um, that will come. And you know, just just keep keep things in a manageable state, and for as long as you can. Um, I'm just trying to think of a particular bit of a, a advice. But there's no there's no specific um, uh, advice that leaps to mind. But uh, something that that I did find interesting was that when I started out, I felt that I was um, uh, basically going out into this big, scary world where people were dealing with sort of like six figure budgets and throwing huge amounts of money around. And like, clearly these people were far smarter than me um, and so on. And, and it turns out that at all levels, people are just people and some of them are really cool and uh, wonderful. And some of them um, are, can be a bit difficult. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, everybody's just people, uh, and so it, you, you, even the publishers who are holding the money uh, are not kind of uh, 
don't put them up on the pedestal. They can get super excited about your game just as much as anybody else can. Uh, and if you can get a publisher that's excited about your game, then um, then you have an ally at that uh, at that uh, company um, who are holding the first string. So um, that that was the most interesting thing uh, to me. That uh, yeah, e even in the in the world of big games business, um, uh, people just still get very excited about games. It's why I'm here. Um, right, so if we um, start looking at some questions that our attendees have asked. Um, one, we've got one directly for you, Chris, and that is, uh, what are the op opportunities that you were able to make use of as a game studio founder who's based outside of London? Seems like the game world is overly concentrated and there's few opportunities for those outside. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit, uh, tricky because a lot of events happen in London. I mean, there are a lot of events um, all over the country. Um, Yuki like go on tour around sort of like major cities um, to like bring events to uh, like um, all across the the country. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, you you need to um, travel. I've I've done events in London. But the events that have been most successful uh, for me have been um, Gamescom uh, in Germany and GDC in San Francisco. And I think largely because they were the sort of like the, the big industry events. Um, and for both of those, um, I had uh, government support to um, make it more affordable um, to, uh, to get out there. So that, that, was, uh, that was really helpful. Um, but there are there are more local things, and obviously because particularly now after the uh, pandemic, there are more events happening online, um, which honestly work work pretty well. I mean, there's no substitute for being able to just like like bump into somebody that you know in the corridor at a show and and you know have a have a quick catch up. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's develop in Brighton. Uh, there's there's events happening in Manchester, Liverpool. Um, uh, so if you can get if you if you're within a couple of hours drive of, of a major city, you should be able to get to some physical events. But uh, yeah, for, for me, the, the ones that I actually had to go halfway around the world um, for turned out to be worth the expense, basically. Do you have anything to add to that, Catherine? I, I mean, just it's quite interesting because I, I mean, we're all aware of those events, but they're incredibly expensive to get to, yeah. not even counting. It's interesting, Chris, that you said you had uh, support with that because mm -hmm. it's not just getting there or staying there or eating there. The tickets can be really expensive. So, um, yeah, if, if you've got anything to add to that, Catherine. Yeah, again, like something like GDC is it's very expensive to travel to. I mean, uh, we've done stuff like like developing Brighton again. The, the conference can, but you could be like, I'm in this pub after you know I'm at the cafe. Yeah. If you want to have a meeting, because you know the whole of the UK games industry is is kind of at that kind of develop event, and you don't necessarily have to board the conference pass to to kind of um, meet up with these people. So that's something I'd recommend. Um, and you know, again just trying to if people uh, nowadays are you know you can just you know email twitter someone and be like 
I could really do some advice. Can we have a Zoom? You know, and sometimes actually just being bold like that, it, it can pay off. Um, so so don't be um, don't be scared of that. I know it's a different thing if you're kind of pitching and need investment and things, but actually, um, yeah, kind of working on these networks um, virtually can really benefit as well. Thank you very much. Um, we're coming into our last five minutes. So um, if we can keep our answers a little bit shorter, just so I can try and answer more of them, if that's okay. Um, there's a, an interesting question um, that asks, do you avoid playing similar genre games while making yours to avoid accidentally copying content or ideas? And I'll start with Catherine. Um, I don't know if about the copying. I don't tend to play as many games when I'm deep in um you know deep in development because it's just I've seen enough screens today and you know I, I, I don't need that um yeah it's it's a I, w- I wouldn't say you know if you suddenly want to make a narrative adventure game don't you know spend a weekend playing every single one you can think of you can get inspiration from lots of different places so um so so, so yeah for me, um, I actually actively like do um, play similar games because uh, I like to see what what I feel works and what doesn't work. Because uh, not because just because I want to sort of like cherry pick the like the best features, but um, just because it informs your your own decisions about what elements to focus on, and it, it can be much more sort of like if ephemeral like vague feelings about sort of like oh the farming feels um feels a bit boring so maybe let's like not put so much emphasis on the farming side of uh of things uh it doesn't necessarily have to be sort of like um oh i like that particular sort of like um uh interaction mechanic and and visual we'll just lift that wholesale but you you want to make things your own anyway so do you have any tips for how you keep a healthy, this is this is assuming you do keep a healthy work-life balance, but uh, what would be your tips uh, for doing that, particularly when you run your own business? I'll start with Chris. Oh, I'm the worst. Uh, I have a terrible work-life balance. Um, I have uh, been, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I've done my fair share of crunch and I am um, imposing it upon myself uh, in my own uh, company uh, again. So I it, very much a case of like, um, do as I say, not as I do. Um, it, it's not it's not healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I can't stop myself at the moment. I'm, I'm working on improving that. Uh. Um, I'd say having some the place you work is like is somewhere where you, it's got a door and you can close it, and you know you're not constantly looking at the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I've, kids for me has helped keep work-life balance because I've got no choice but to like finish on time and and things. Um, but again, I mean, I know Chris saying I'm not that healthy, but you know, you we work so flexibly now. You know, it might be more productive to go back to something at eight o'clock and just just finish off some emails and things. But you know, you can still um, ten ten o'clock in the morning go and do something else. So. So yeah, it's just yeah, I really recommend not being in the same, you know, of having a workspace you can close off um would be is really beneficial. We're um I've got a question from Medi who wonders if you had any resources, a masterclass or anything like that that you'd recommend as they've just 
recently been introduced to this idea? I have, with a bit of research on the spot. I can't quite think of something, but but um, but BAFTA, I'm sure, have have lots of um, masterclasses as well. Um, that... Yeah, there's. Uh, I would have a look at um, BAFTA have run a lot of um, uh, events for um, sort of like um, analysing um, successful games and, and workshops and uh, things like that. Uh, Yuki um, also run a whole bunch of um, really useful workshops. Um, and then there are a um, whole bunch of game, online game dev communities um, on, on Discord um, and uh or you know, if you prefer on on Reddit, like most platforms have like game dev communities of some sort. So um, shop around a bit, look, find one that you like the tone of, uh, because so, some forums are a bit more aggressive than others in their criticisms of games and game dev. Yeah. And our final question should be a nice question. Um, so someone would like to know, what's your favourite game? That's part one. And part two, what are you playing right now? I'll start with Chris. Uh, my favourite game of all time is Journey um, uh, by that game company. Uh, absolutely love the, the cleverness of the design uh, and the, the way that the design choices that they made um, create the uh, an emotional experience uh, that they were going for and that sense of catharsis it's 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 fantastic there's a reason it won like five six baftas i can't remember um right now i'm playing uh, horizon uh, forbidden west um on easy mode because i have no time um really enjoying that kind of looking at everybody else playing elden ring and going yeah not for me probably how about you Catherine? so okay. i was going to say something else but actually journey is amazing and i'm like I may do it. Um, I was going to say Ico is fantastic as well. Yeah. And for my nostalgic youth, um, Day of the Tentacle um, is a puzzle adventure game. And um, probably Lumino City wouldn't have been made if we hadn't played that when I was a child. Um, I'm not really playing much at the moment. Um, two dots on my phone to just chill out to. But um, yeah. Um, Whatever the kids have got on the Switch at the moment, basically I get roped into playing. So a lot of Mario. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you both so much for being here this afternoon. It's been a fascinating insight. And I really appreciate your candid responses. Because I think for all the things when we talk about setting up on your own, we need to talk about the things that don't go quite so well as well as the things that do. So I'm really grateful. Uh, Diochenval also to everyone else who's uh, watching us this afternoon. Really, really appreciate you being here. Um, don't forget, there's a final Guru Live Spring session later today. That's at 6 p.m. And it's a case study on the um, on Limbo, which um, I got about 15 minutes in and couldn't play anymore because of the spider. So um, it'll be fascinating to see. As long as there's no pictures, I'll be able to watch that. So we'll be fine. Um, you can still register on BAFTA's website if you'd like to uh, participate in that. And if you enjoyed this session, please feel free to take a look at some of our previous events at the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel, uh, which is a, a collaborative project between BAFTA Cymru and BAFTA Scotland. And don't forget, um, you're welcome to tune in to the 2022 BAFTA Game Awards, uh, which is 
not that far away now, 7th of April. And that will be a roundup of the best games of the last year. And we'll find out who is taking home uh, those big prizes. So thanks again, everybody, for being here this afternoon. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for being here. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.